Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 154, A Conversation with Michelle Cleave. Michelle was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer in December of 2022, and she is finishing up her active treatment and is about to enroll onto a vaccine trial for triple negative breast cancer. There is a lot of interest in vaccines, a lot of ongoing, really exciting research. And I've asked Michelle to join me on several episodes of the podcast to share her experiences and her story as she navigates through the process. Today is part one. You'll hear a little bit about how she found the trial, how she made the decision to travel to the Cleveland Clinic to see if she'd be eligible for the trial, the plan, what happened when she got there, the little bumps and hurdles on the way. I'm so grateful for Michelle to, for taking us on this journey with her, and I'm hoping that these conversations will give you a little bit of perspective and understanding of what goes into being on a clinical trial. And I'm really excited to welcome Michelle back for part two in a couple of weeks. I hope that you enjoy this episode and it is my honor to welcome Michelle Cleave to the Interlude podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. My pleasure, Dr. Toplinski. Can you start just by telling us a little bit about your original diagnosis and your treatment and what that has been like for you? Yeah. So um, I have had been having mammograms since I was 40. Um, and I went for my regular scheduled mammogram, got called back. Not unusual. I have dense breasts. So that's happened a few times. Um, but on that callback is when they saw something. Um, and so at that point, I went for the biopsy. And this was in December last year. So the biopsy was on December 7th. And I got the official diagnosis. Well, I got the cancer diagnosis on December 12th. I didn't know what type of cancer it was. All I knew it was a breast cancer. And it was small but aggressive. So I didn't actually get the full di diagnosis of triple negative breast cancer until I saw the breast surgeon in, in January. Um, obviously, learning that that what it was, I didn't know anything about all the different breast cancers at that point. All I heard was it's aggressive and you need chemo. Um, and so I started chemo in January um, and I did the traditional Keynote 522 protocol. So chemotherapy alongside immunotherapy. Um, and I then um, had my surgery in July. And after surgery, I unfortunately did not have a pathologically complete response at that time. So I already knew then that I was going to be needing the additional chemotherapy Zalota. Um, I did also have um, 16 rounds of radiation, which is actually quite low from what I've heard. But I think it was because 
the um the tumor itself was quite small originally anyway and there was nothing in my lymph nodes there was no evidence of spread um and then i started on zoloda back in uh, at the beginning of october so i have a few more months of that still to go don't have any history of breast cancer in my family i do not have the gene i got tested it was one of the services that was provided um so just bad luck unfortunately um but the end is in sight and I've always been very keen to look at kind of additional options. Um, and my oncologist herself, she's very um, uh, supportive of clinical trials. She actually apparently was hired because she was supposed to be bringing clinical trials to the cancer um, facility mm -hmm. in which I'm being treated. So, yeah. So how did you, you're finishing Zalota, Kate Truda, and, you know, we had connected when you had told me you were, you know, joining and participating in a vaccine trial. So you know, I wanted to kind of break that down and what that looks like from the very beginning. So take us back to that original, when you start reading about or reading or learning about the trial, like what was the, how did that all come to be? Well, the very first time I actually heard about a potential vaccine was at a, a cancer support group that I'm part of here in the DC area. And there was actually a woman um, as part of that group who had received a triple negative vaccine. Now, um, I'll be honest, I didn't probe anymore at that point, but I knew it was in the local area. Um, and she'd had three injections. Um, and that was that was kind of the sum extent of our conversation at that point. But I guess that was percolating um, in my in my head. And then um, it actually it was an article in a new in I can't remember which where it was online, but I I occasionally go online and I look up you know TNBC clinical trials advancements you know things like that. Being very careful where I look on Google, obviously. Um, and coincidentally, at the same time, a fellow breastie who I've connected with on Instagram, she'd actually heard about the same trial or she'd seen the same article, and she'd got as far as actually getting the phone number for the Cleveland Clinic. So she shared it with me. Um, and so that was when, that was back in, that must have been kind of um, late September. It was before, it was in between radiation and starting the Zalota. So it was sometime in September. Um, and so I called them immediately. Um, and in fact, when I called, even the, the nurse on the clinical trial desk hadn't heard about the expansion of this trial. And I, I can talk a little bit about that in a minute because it was brand new. It literally, literally happened like that the day or two before. Um, and so basically the trial has been around for a little while is my understanding, but it was originally focused, um, you know, on what the standard of treatment was before keynote. And obviously now with keynote, um, we've got immunotherapy. Um, so that's that was kind of a new part of the protocol. And also now for those with residual disease, um, Zaloda is a standard of care and so that's kind of why they were expanding or recruiting again for this vaccine trial was because of those two changes um, in the in the protocol for treatment of triple negative. And so you made that call yep. and do you, you called and you said hi I'm interested in your study. Yeah so, so I got yeah, so I called and when they answer the phone, they say, hey, it's the Cleveland Clinic, Cleveland Clinic Cancer Care Line. And I started blah, 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 because I was dead excited. And they went, oh, you need to speak to the clinical trial team. So they put me through and I actually spoke to a nurse who has 
I've since communicated with a lot. Um, she was like, I've not heard of this. I know about the vaccine. I haven't heard about this aspect of it. Let me find out and I'll get back to you. And she did. She called me back within a couple of days and said, right, yep, yeah, we've expanded it and we're really keen to get people on. Or we want people on this who ha are still on immunotherapy. So they're still on adjuvant immunotherapy because we think that the combination of the vaccine and the um, Keytruda is really going to help in terms of um, triggering your immune system to recognize um, the triple negative cancer cells. So I went through kind of an initial kind of conversation with her. She got all my um, sort of basic details, name, mm -hmm. address, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then it went quiet. It went quiet for a little bit. I'm not gonna lie, for about a week. Um, and then I got a call from a different part of the Cleveland Clinic. And I since learned that it's it was actually the clinical trial team. Um, so a lady reached out to me and basically kind of started going through, you know, exactly as I explained at the start of this, what my diagnosis was, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we had that conversation. I was actually out and about walking around DC. Um, so she couldn't hear me very well. It was, but I didn't want to miss that call, right? I wanted to take that call. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not going to lie, you know, I did follow up a few times. Um, and it's not that they weren't responsive. I think it's because I was aware of my timelines in terms of when my, my Keytruda is going to finish, when I'm starting the Zalota and, they were still kind of figuring out how this second part of the trial was going to work, right? So it was kind of, I was being, to be quite frank, that annoying person. But I think you have to be mm -hmm. because they've got so much going on and, and I'm assuming they have a number of people interested, right? They can't keep on necessarily keep on top of everybody all the time. Um, so I would say I definitely advocated for myself in terms of making sure um, they knew who I was. Um, the accent helps. <laughs> um, you know, they recognize my voice. But at the same time, you know, um, I also let them know that, you know, I wasn't bugging because I didn't think that they were doing anything. I was bugging because I was dead excited and really wanted to do this. And I, I think it's important to to advocate for yourself in that way um, and to call and because you know, people do get busy and it's not like they don't care. It's just sometimes other things happen. So I think it is important to keep following up and, and to keep calling. And, and I don't think that's being, that's a negative thing. So after you have, you're walking through DC, you've got that phone call. What happened next? Um, I actually got a phone call about a week later telling me that the um, trial was delayed because they actually had to update the trial protocol because they hadn't factored in Zaloda. So again, because the treatment, um, arena for triple negative is changing all the time um you know the the trial is specifically looking at women like me or people like me who have got residual disease and now that Zalota is the standard of care they needed to include that in the trial protocol so there was actually a delay of about a month so I didn't really hear anything from them um and then in um and I, I was anxious because I was thinking well if they don't get the protocol approval, then I'm not stopping Zalota, right? I That's a proven drug that's gonna reduce my recurrence risk. This is still experimental, it's phase one. And so I was already like, well, if it doesn't come through, obviously I'll be disappointed, but I'm not gonna discontinue my existing treatment. However, it got approved 
Um, and so they called me, it was early October, so it was not long after I'd actually started Zalota. Um, and it kind of just snowballed from there. So we again, we went through everything. Um, and I, I don't know if I'd shared with you, but I'd previous I'd been looking at a different clinical trial, which was actually here in DC. And it was a phase three trial looking at using um, Tradelvi instead of Zalota mm. in, in um, post-radiation, yeah. post-radiation. I missed that by 24 hours, um, you know, for a whole variety of reasons. And again, it was a similar process. I was calling, I kept getting given the mm. wrong phone number. I literally missed it by 24 so hours. So frustrating. Because I'd had the third dose of Keytruda and they were only allowing for two doses after surgery. I was devastated. I was mm. absolutely devastated by that. And so I think that's part of the reason why I was so aggressive in my self-advocacy, shall we say. Um, and so it, it snowballed from there. So um, I spent a lot of time on the phone. Um, and one of the things we had to figure out first was logistics because this was when I learned all the kind of the parameters of the trial. So you needed to be, have at least six weeks left of Pembroke. Um, you needed to be at least four weeks after um, either, you know, surgery or radiation. Um, and, and you have to be able to have there's, there's three, there's three vaccines, basically there's three injections that you get and you had to be able to have them two weeks apart. So the added complication in that for me was I'm actually going home to the UK for Christmas for two weeks um, with the okay of my oncologist. And I think as everyone will appreciate, it's very difficult doing this when you're on your own and you're away from family. So I wasn't giving up my trip to the UK for anything, but we kind of worked through it. I got registered in the Cleveland Clinic Network. I have on my chart now with the Cleveland Clinic. Um, and yeah, it was it was, there was just a lot of back and forth um in that um at that point so I guess we're probably now sort of mid to late October at this point and this is that we weren't necessarily having contact every day but it was certainly a few times a week and then we started figuring out the dates so we, we figured out a plan for the dates um that fitted in with their schedule and my schedule um things started appearing in my calendar in my my chart calendar and then um, once we kind of got to that point, there was a couple of things we needed to do. One, I signed a medical release because one of the things they do need is um, the sample or what they take out of the tube yeah, bed. They need the, mm -hmm. yeah, they need the pathology. Um, and so I guess me, I just assume that they I've given them the release. They're going to get all of my information and that becomes important later, right? So I did that. And then we also went through a medical consent discussion so she had sent me all the information about the trial, what was in it, what wasn't in it, what how how it was experimental, what the potential side effects, you know, all of those kind of things so that I knew what I was getting myself in for. And then that was kind of the last conversation I had before I actually went to Cleveland. So it, there was a lot of phone calls, but it wasn't a huge amount of paperwork and it wasn't a huge amount of kind of admin. Yeah. Um, it was just more kind of from, from my perspective, keeping on top of it and making sure that I was in regular contact with them. And so you're in DC, you have to get to Cleveland, you know, that's also not, it's, you know, it's not like you drive over there and you're there, right? So 
what what kind of logistics did you have to plan to figure out okay, where am I going to stay? How long do I have to be there for? All of that. Yeah. So I'm very fortunate. I have a very good friend who actually lives in Akron, Cleveland, who happens to be a neurosurgeon within the Cleveland Clinic Network. Oh, that's just um, fortuitous. I know, right? And I know not everyone is in that position. I've, I feel very fortunate that I've I've had that. But I was willing to to, to book a hotel or book an Airbnb. I would, I, and again, I'm in a position that I can do that. Um, fortunately, um, so basically, um, I with with the schedule, you know, you get your your first injection on day one, you get your second injection on day. 15 you get your third injection on day 28 so it's over a four-week period so I decided rather than coming back and forth um also because I'm fatigued because of the chemo I'm being sensible in terms of you know I'm trying not to be in large groups of people and you know I'm masking everywhere and all this kind of stuff I decided that it would make more sense just for me to stay for the duration of the four weeks and my friend was okay with that I'm also in the fortunate position that I'm actually not working at the moment um, so again, I have flexibility with my with my time. I think if I had been working, I still would have done this. I would have negotiated for remote working, or I, I would have tried to have done something. Yeah. Um, and, and so were you going to get the Keytruda, like, and it's loader there? Like, how does that work? Because now you're at a different facility. Yeah, absolutely. So the loader is no issue because I get it mailed to me or mm. I get it next to me. So all I needed to do was change the shipping address. So that was great. That was a no-brainer. When it comes to the immune therapy, um, so my original schedule was I was going to start the I was going to start the trial or the preamble to the trial on November sixth, and I was going to be done by December. I think it was the eighth or the ninth. That was the window, and I had an immunotherapy scheduled for the twenty second of November, and so I was working with the Cleveland Clinic and my insurance company to see if I could get that um, infusion at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, it's more an insurance thing in, ter- in that the insurance had already approved the full schedule of, of infusions for my Virginia location. And so when I spoke to the insurance company, they said, well, because the entire thing has been approved and it's just a change of location, the Cleveland Clinic just needs to submit a pre-approval request and we don't see there being issues. So we were actually in the process of doing that. If that hadn't got approved, and we, we kind of never got to that point, um, I had actually booked a flight. I was coming back to DC, um, not ideal around Thanksgiving. Um, but again, you know, as every cancer patient knows going under treatment, you do not miss one of your treatments. Yeah. And, whatever, I, think, whatever and I think that's an important point that you make is a lot of people don't realize when you're, whatever treatment is approved, it's approved for you at a particular location. So it's not... Like you can just get it because, you know, I have a lot of people who will go to Florida for the winter and they'll say, oh, can I get my treatment there? And it's not it's really it's it's not impossible, but it is complicated to do it because of all the pre-approvals and changes that have to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's definitely something that folks should consider when they're looking at doing something like this. Um, but I, I have a lot of airline miles from from previous jobs and so on. So, again, that made it a little bit more cost effective. I was. I'm apprehensive about getting on planes at the moment, but again, I'm masking up and doing all the sensible things, you know. Um, so that's that was kind of all lined up and I felt really confident. And because of the disappointment with the previous trial, I thought I dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's and I was really excited. And so actually my friend who I was staying with, bless her, 
she actually flew to DC or, or she met me in on the route and we we drove together because I can't drive for six hours at the moment. My brain fog means mm-hmm. I lose so, yeah. Um and so there we go. And so I'm in Cleveland. I was in Cleveland and ready for my first appointments on November 6th. Okay. So November 5th, the night before, what's going through your mind? Are you nervous? Are you scared? Are you excited? All of the above. (laughs) Um, I think everyone knows that the triple negative diagnosis is a tricky one. You know, it's the most aggressive form of the breast cancers. It has fewer treatment options, although that is changing, which is fantastic. Um, And again, having been so disappointed with the previous clinical trial that I was trying to get on, I have put all my hopes in this. And even though the logical part of my brain is, you know, this is this is a great opportunity, but don't put all your eggs in this. Don't assume that this is going to be the panacea and everything. That emotional part of you that is so fearful kind of latches onto it and so it was very much a dialogue of my emotional and my logical brain you know and to be honest I one of the the things I was most worried about was the scans beforehand because one of the one of the criteria is you cannot have metastatic disease and as far as we know I'm cancer free right but what if something shows up on those scans and so that was actually my fear before you know mm-hmm. the fear I oh, had going into the trial and November 6th walk us through that day what happens so I drove to the Cleveland Clinic um it's an it's an amazing facility they have valet and everything it's like very space age um and so I had a bunch of appointments to be honest the appointments didn't say a huge amount in the um mm-hmm. my chart calendar but I got there and I was going to physically sign the consent form, which we'd verbally gone through. And then the next step was to meet Dr. Budd. He's he's who's, he's the clinical director of the trial. Mm-hmm. And so I'm there and I'm excited. Start going through everything. And this is what you, you are. This is where you are. We got this. We got, you know, and mm-hmm. we were probably, you know, spent about a good half an hour kind of talking about that, including the list of the medications that I'm currently on. So outside of my sort of chemo and cancer treatments you know what medications are you on so Mm -hmm. I take an anti-anxiety med um I have a med that I sometimes use to help me sleep um I have Xanax because everybody knows we get anxious and panicky again as needed and we kind of you know standard thing all's good I sign the consent form everything looks good And and she then says to me you know what, I usually just go through all the exclusions just, just to make sure. I was like, okay, you know. So we're going through, going through, going through, going through, going through. And then suddenly she, she stops and she went, oh. And my heart just dropped in my stomach. I said, what? And she said, the sertraline, which is Zoloft, the, the med that I'm taking for my for anxiety. She said, that's on the excluded list. And I just burst into tears burst into tears in the office I said you can't say that to me you can't say that to me and she said I'm just gonna go and talk to Dr Bud so she went out and I, I was literally I'm, I'm texting my mum right first thing I do is text my mum and I'm sitting there and I'm just praying I'm not a believer but I was praying to 
whatever is out there to say, please let this go ahead. Please let this go ahead. She was probably gone for a good 20 to 25 minutes. And I'm just there on my own, right? Didn't think I needed anybody with me, (laughs) like some other appointments. And she comes back in and she comes in with Dr. Bud. And I'm there crying and I'm trying to, you know, and Dr. Bud looked really surprised that I was crying. So he hands me a box of tissues. And then he starts going through the history again. And I kind of said, am I am I still on this? And he said, well, the sertraline is, is not allowed, so you're going to have to wean off it. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I realized that they weren't coming back and saying no. They were just saying it's going to be delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did a, a very brief physical exam. He checked my lymph nodes. He checked the breast area, looked at my incisions mm-hmm. and yeah. everything. Um, and then he was gone. He did go through what the trial was. So he talked about the fact that it's, and I'm going to massacre the medical terminology, but he talked about the fact that it's um, looking for a particular aspect of the triple negative cell and that the vaccine will target that. And, you know, he, he kind of went through everything. I'll be honest with you, I was still kind of... Yeah, you know, probably in like a state of, yeah. And I'm normally very good at taking in that information, um, but I wasn't at that point. <laughs> so then he, he we, we kind of had that, and um, and then it was just... The nurse. And I, and she, first thing she said was, I am so sorry, because we're at the point now where... I think she realized she should have gone through that list with me earlier because I would have had time to wean off it. Mm -hmm. She also knew everything I'd done to make sure that I could be in Cleveland from a personal perspective. Um, And she just said to me, Michelle, we are going to get you on this trial by hook or by crook. Um, So, yeah, so it didn't happen (laughs) at that particular time, but... We do now have a schedule. So you left, you went back to DC. So I actually, I went back to my friend's house. Mm -hmm. I ended up staying in Cleveland for a week um, just because it was nice to be with friends. I got back to DC this weekend, just gone actually. um, And I've been in contact with them. Um, Things are starting to get scheduled. We have a very, very tight window. There is literally no wiggle room, none. Um, and so if one thing goes wrong, like if one flight is delayed or something, this isn't happening. And I did think, I did sit down and think about, is it worth it at this point now? Because this is now going to incur a fairly significant expense for me. I have to change Mm -hmm. flights. I have to do a bunch of things. But then I thought, if this if this doesn't go ahead, I want I, I don't want it to be because I haven't tried everything in my power. I'm also in the position where I do have the flexibility to be able to do it. And we, we will likely never know. Let's thank God, let's touch wood, should I say, assume that the cancer never comes back. We will likely never know in a phase one part of the trial whether it was because of the vaccine or whether it was just because it was never going to come back anyway. But if doing the vaccine helps it, doing this part of the trial helps it progress and potentially helps women in the future, and it's not going to make my current situation any worse, then why wouldn't I do it? 
And I think, I mean, I think that's a really altruistic reason. And, you know, I think part of it also is, you know, we always are so much in cancer, as you know, that's out of your control completely. You know, I think having something that you can control, or at least like you said, you feel like you've done everything that you could, like that if it doesn't happen, it's not because of, of your, you know, what you could have done, but it's still hard now. So now we're weaning off the sertraline. And how's that going? Because that's also not easy. Yeah, um, it's it's mostly okay. I've had a couple of BP days, but that could also be just just yeah, everything going on. And I've just finished. Like, I actually have the most energy today I've had in a while because I just finished um, the pills of my second cycle of Zalota, so I'm on my week off. Yeah. So the Monday and the Tuesday in both times has been not pleasant, and I actually have more energy today. So. Um, and I haven't been on sertraline a super long time. It's more, it's more situational, um, than any kind of, you know, it was, yeah, you know, so I'm gradually weaning myself off it. I will be off it in the next two weeks. Um, and so right now I'm scheduled to go back to and start, I'm scheduled to fly back and I've decided to fly just because with the winter weather and yeah increasing I'm not going to risk driving um so I fly back to Cleveland on December 4th um I'm there for all my, all the tests all the scans so the scan anxiety is going to come back um I actually have again touch wood I actually have the first injection on December 12th I fly back to DC December 12th I fly to the UK December 13th wow and I'm actually cutting short my UK trip by two days mm. because given the timings, yeah. the latest I can have the second injection is December 29th. So I fly back. I'm going to fly back on December 27th, fly to Cleveland December 28th and get the injection on December 29th. And then the third injection will be in January. That one I'm less concerned about. <laughs> that one I have nothing in my calendar. Well, yeah. So this is... um it's a lot, you know, like it's just the, the scheduling and everything is, is, I mean, that's stressful on its own. Absolutely. But one thing I do have to say is in spite of the fact that this is because I didn't get the full list of exclusions before any of this started, they have been phenomenal in terms of, right, okay, we know these are your dates, these days are sacrosanct, we're going to fit it in. And I know, because I've spoken to the scheduler, that they've shifted other people to fit me in, in that window. Um, you know, and I'm, again, one of the things that I try to do as, as someone going through treatment for cancer is you can dwell on stuff that's in the past, yeah. but you can't change it. You have to deal with the situation in hand. Yeah, and I, I think that... Um... You know, I, there's so many moving parts to a clinical trial, and especially a phase one, um, and it it can be really hard. Um, and so I think you know, you having grace in that moment is really important. But yeah, it's yeah. um, you know, it's it's nobody's fault. Yeah, you know, said there's so many moving parts and they're trying to do the right thing by the trial the right thing by the folks enrolling in the trial right to make sure it's safe and etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah and I think you know a lot of times people may ask well why you know why 
you know, do you, can't you not be on sertraline? And I'm sure there is a very valid reason. Um, but I think what's really important about a clinical trial is that things have to be, especially for a phase one, you know, things have to be followed to, to the absolute letter. Like you can't, there's no deviations, there's no straying. So I think it's really, like you said, I think it's a mindset shift and saying, look, they're keeping me safe. They're keeping yeah. the trial safe. They're keeping the trial open for other people. And, and um, there are always bumps and hurdles in the road, um, but we're going to cross all our fingers for no snow and no bad weather and that everything goes as smoothly as it needs. And then we're going to hear from you, Michelle, after yep. December 12th. All the, all the positive thoughts and all the positive vibes. I mean, we're sending it all to you. We're sending it to the Cleveland Clinic. We're sending it to the weather. Absolutely. God. Absolutely. Um, anything you want to share before we wrap up this part one of, you know, finding the trial, getting out there? Um, all I will say is um, one thing that I got asked a few times is, oh, did your oncologist tell you about this trial? Um, and people seem surprised when I say no. Um, but my perspective is, is and, and you will know this yourself, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different types of breast cancer and obviously gynecological cancers in your case. Um, there's so much going on in that space. You cannot do your jobs and keep on top of all of that. It, it's just not possible, I don't think anyway. And so as someone who, especially when a clinical trial is not part of my standard treatment plan, right? And so I take it on myself to kind of look up these things and then I bring it to my oncologist. At that point, I expect my oncologist to go and look into it and provide feedback to me but I don't necessarily expect her to be telling me about them unless she knows about them. As it turns out, she knew about the Tradelvi one mm. and, had, and had actually already tried to get me on it, which I didn't realize. But, um, you know, so that's kind of one thing I would just encourage people to do is this is something that you can take into your own hands and go to the NIH website, go to clinicaltrials.gov mm. Um you know, Google, and this is one area where I think Google can help. Yeah, absolutely. In, in trials. Um, you know, there's no consistent information about them out there. They don't necessarily get updated in real time. But I do think that's something that we as as cancer patients can can do for ourselves. I agree with you. I think, you know, there's there are hundreds of trials out there. And I think obviously if there's a big trial at your cancer center where you're being treated or in the area, um, we definitely talk about those, but, you know, I will say we don't always talk about trials potentially elsewhere in the country, unless, you know, I think where it comes up is people who may have, um, you know, who have metastatic disease and who have gone through standard of care options. And I don't think it's like you said, it's not a, a for a lack of information, but I, I think, you know, appointments are not an hour long and there's a lot to cover. And I, and this is where I think what you said is so important is that it's not my oncologist is the doctor and I'm the patient and there's, that's it. And I do, you know, it's really this continuum of communication and conversation. And I love when people research things and say, Hey, I read about this and let's talk about it. And I agree with you that the responsibility of your doctor at that point is to look into it and to give way in on, is this right for you? Is this a good fit? What should you, you know, how do you go about it? Um, but I, I think it is really much that advocacy on your beat, you know, and I wish it wasn't right. I wish that there was a way 
um, for everyone to just plug in and, and you would spit out the most updated information and clinicaltrials.gov is not the best, but there's a lot of work on going to make it better. So um, I think that's a really important point that you made and I'm really excited for you. Yeah, keep, I'm keeping everything crossed. Um, but like I said, if if it doesn't happen, I didn't want it to be for lack of effort on my yeah. part. Um, and if it doesn't happen for whatever reason, then, you know, um, you, you deal with it and you move on. Um, but yeah, but you, yeah, but you so far is looking... We're, we're keeping everything crossed December 12th. I have a good feeling. It's my wedding anniversary, so I have a really good feeling oh, about that. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> so very lucky day then, yes. <laughs> All right. And if people want to follow along your journey as this is ongoing, how can they find you? Um, so I'm on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Cleavers Conquering Cancer. Um, you know, so I'm I'm an open book on there. Um, I, I have got so much benefit from engaging with other folks who have gone through this that I wanted to share my journey as well, knowing that every journey is different. Um, so yeah, folks can reach out to me there. Happy to answer any questions. Um, I've got some really good breasties, online breasties now um, that have been really helpful to me and ho hopefully I can pay that forward as well. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening to this conversation with Michelle, our part one of her entering onto a vaccine clinical trial and her experiences. Michelle will be back in a couple of weeks to share part two. And hopefully at that point, we'll have received her first infusion. And so we'll hear a little bit about that and, and what that has been like. I'm really hopeful that this conversation, again, gave you a little look inside how we find trials, how we pick trials. And all the ups and downs that happen because if you have yourself or have had a family or friend um, been on a clinical trial, you know, you'll know that there can be these bumps in the road, um, but it's all to keep people as safe as possible. Let me know what questions you have about trials, about vaccines. I'm hoping to do a little bit more education soon online about what's happening in the vaccine trial space. You can find me at Dr. Toplinski on all social media platforms, and you can find Michelle on Instagram at cleavers underscore conquering underscore cancer, and definitely reach out to her if you have any questions as well. If you have a moment, I am always so grateful if you can take uh, a minute to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as that helps me to grow the show and to bring it to new listeners. Thank you all for being here and I will see you soon.